Let's pray together for a couple minutes. We're deeply aware that it's all about you, Lord Jesus. We're deeply aware that your name is above it all. And yet, we often get distracted. So remind us again and again that as we move into very deliberately this era of the year, that the focus is on you, that you humbled yourself and you came, the Holy One, took on human flesh, and you gave your life to the mission that your Father had called you to. And you did it for each one of us, and for this we're deeply, deeply grateful. And now, Lord Jesus, as we look into your word, which reveals very specifically, as it reveals the way we live and shines a light on that. Would you speak to our hearts? We invite you to do that. Precious name, amen. So last week we began just this little three-week series called Better. And we looked at really some foundational but crucial words from Jesus when he's interacting with his leadership team and he says to them these words that many and perhaps all of us are familiar with when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Literally, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we often will focus and we need to focus and we need to be aware of and subscribe to and believe in the fact that he's the truth. And as the truth, when we allow that truth to touch our life, to uh, change our life, change our eternity. But in these three weeks, what we want to focus on is the way that Jesus lived. And so last week, we talked about more of what matters, that we don't have any more time. So let's give ourselves to the things that matter the most. And so we talked about more of what matters. And one of the things I invited you to do was to pray a prayer every day, maybe even a few times a day, and then to just listen for Jesus' prompting in light of that prayer. And it went something like this, and you, could, it, you don't have to use the exact words, but it's the idea, God help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. And really what that prayer is, is it's just a different way of saying the Ten Commandments, which are summarized in the Newer Testament with the words, here are the two key things in life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, which are the first four commandments and then the last six commandments summarized there. This prayer is just another way of saying that. And then after you pray it, to just pause and listen and say, Jesus, is there something that you want to say to me in light of this? And um, this past week, and in fact, in the days and, and time before that, I've been praying that every day, and, and sometimes several times a day, and then I just pause and just listen briefly. And what I've been finding is personally more and more um, and I'm going to borrow some words from a friend of mine named Doug, that Jesus just nudged my heart 
as I would do that. He would nudge my heart. And so, for example, one time this past week, I was facing a a sort of a testy, I'll use that word, testy phone call with someone. And as I was getting ready to talk to them, I prayed this. And I just said, Lord, help me to experience Jesus fully and to love this person deeply as I talked to them. Now, the way to love them best was actually to say no to them. But I sought to do it in a way that was loving, to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. And then later in the week, I had a Zoom call meeting with two other people where we had to make some really difficult decisions about some issues. And I had very little information to go on in very complicated situations. And so I was praying this prayer and listening. And I just believe Jesus nudged and Jesus led because Jesus knows things. He knows things that I don't know. And he wants to, he wants to nudge us in that direction. So more of what matters. Today, we want to kind of carry on from that a little bit, and we, talk, we want to talk about this moment matters. Last week was more of what matters. Today, it's this moment matters. And it really comes out of a well-known verse of Scripture from Psalm 118, which says, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so as we look at the life of Jesus and the way he conducted his life, he lived like this moment matters. No matter who he was interacting with, no matter what he was engaged with, no matter what he was doing, He was always present, in my opinion, at least as I read his story, he was present in the moment. He he would give undivided attention to the person that was in front of him or the situation he was engaged with because he realized as the one who had created that person that this person matters immensely. So I want to read a, a couple of stories that are illustrations of that. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter, beginning in chapter 18, verse 35. And then we're going to read the second story, which is adjacent to that, and which is a sort of a, a follow-up to this first story. But we're going to begin in Luke chapter 18, in verse 35. And Jesus is approaching the ancient city of Jericho. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, because there's hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people that are following Jesus around, when he heard the crowd going by, the blind guy asked, what's happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I love this guy. But he just shouted all the more. He just shouts louder than, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, the blind man said. And so Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw this, they praised God also. Our God does supernatural things, but really what we want to focus on here is that Jesus is approaching, as I said, the ancient city of Jericho, perhaps walking down from the monastery at St. George's. Debbie and I have done that. It's about a one-hour walk, and you walk on this goat path, really narrow little path, and it's hot, and it's, there's very little, well, there's no water around, and you walk down to the city of Jericho, and he's approaching the city of Jericho, and there's huge crowds of people that are following Jesus, and this blind guy yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says that the people that were leading this group were not very happy. Even though this guy had obviously heard the truth about Jesus, because when you read his statement, it's packed full of theological truth the truth about God. We're not gonna focus on that, but you can read that and you can learn some theological truth about God. And we look at the way Jesus handled this because the people had said that were leading the way and perhaps that was the disciples, we don't know for sure. They get after this guy and they say, pipe down, we're on a mission here. We're going someplace, we have a place to be and you are not on the itinerary. You don't have an appointment. Jesus is booked solid. And quite frankly, buddy, we have bigger fish to fry than you. But Jesus heard him. And he allowed himself to be interrupted and stopped for this guy that nobody else had time for. Has Jesus ever stopped you when nobody else would have time for you? I hope he has because I know this about him. He wants to. He won't force himself on you but he wants to stop. He wants to be interrupted and he wants to engage with you in a very personal way. If you'll let him right? This guy said, please help me. Please, son of David, help me. And Jesus stopped when no one else would. Has Jesus ever invited you to stop for the guy that no one else had time for? See, the way of Jesus is different than we typically do life. He invites us often to stop for the guy that nobody else has time for. And this is part of what listening accomplishes. It's part of what happens when we pray those very sincere prayers. I I want to experience Jesus fully 
and I want to love people deeply. Now, Lord, help me understand what that means. And when we pray like that, Jesus speaks. And when we listen, he helps us to know when to stop. Because just think about this setting. Like, there's who knows how many, hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of, I don't know, but a big crowd. And how many needs are in that crowd? And Jesus stops and identifies and interacts with this guy. How did he know to do that? Because his father was leading him. And he was listening. And he was responding. What do you want me to do for you? The guy says to him. And Jesus heals him. Next story. So Jesus is heading into this ancient city, the ancient city of Jericho. He heals this guy, then he keeps on going. There's a huge crowd following. Chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he's going someplace. He's got somewhere to go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus could tell, he could see Jesus is coming this way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, here's another little nugget. When you do the Jesus way, there's going to be people not happy with you, right? Sadly, people that claim to be followers of Jesus too. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to your house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to save, to seek rather, and to save that which is lost. And so Jesus enters the city of Jericho. He's on his way somewhere. He's passing through. Apparently he had somewhere he was heading towards. This guy named Zacchaeus, who's a chief tax collector, who's a wealthy guy, runs ahead and wants to engage somehow with Jesus. And Jesus, so in the first story, Jesus has been interrupted by a poor blind guy. But now he's going to be interrupted by a rich, corrupt tax collector. And one of the, like, there's so many cool things about Jesus. But one of the cool things about Jesus is the way he did life, where he had time for the people that were down and out, and he had time for the people that were up and out. And there's a message in that. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what baggage you may be carrying. And it might be really good baggage and it might be not so good baggage. Jesus is willing to be interrupted for you. He wants to be interrupted for you because he cares. Now, 
in our era, Revenue Canada, the Tax Collection Agency of Canada, um, you know, we interact with them. And it may be that you don't enjoy paying taxes. Most people don't. But they're not corrupt as a group. There's probably one or two of them that are, just like in any organization. But as a group, as much as we may not love paying taxes, they are held to a legal standard and they seek to follow through. But in Jesus' day, a Jewish tax collector was literally seen as a traitor to the nation of Israel. They were seen and despised because they were seen to be helping the oppressive Roman Empire. And they would be told by the Romans, you're going to collect this amount. But because they were corrupt, they would take that amount and then they would up it and they would take the extra money off the top for themselves. And if anybody tried to speak up, the tax collector would just call for the Roman soldiers who would come and they were incredibly harsh. You were fortunate if you just went to jail. You might get beaten, you might get executed if you tried to cause a fuss. And so Zacchaeus is used to being hated, he's used to being despised, he's used to being marginalized, he's used to being ignored. And he jumps up in this tree, and Jesus is coming along, and he stops, calls him by name, because he has the supernatural gift of the word of knowledge. And he invites himself over for lunch or to stay at Zacchaeus' house, whatever it was, and this is a profound act. Like people are choked that Jesus are doing this, is doing this, loving this guy. And so Zacchaeus is cut to the heart, and there's a moment of deep repentance. I have sinned so many times. I have hurt so many people. I am so sorry for that. And I repent of that, which literally means to not blame any or anyone or anything else, but just to say, I have done these sinful things. I need to be forgiven. Would you forgive me, God? And then would you help me turn, which is what repentance means, turn and go the other way. And then accompanying with that is healthy restitution. And this guy does restitution and goes even beyond that. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house because I'm all about seeking and saving those that are lost. And if you're here today and, and, and that resonates with you, Matt, I encourage you, don't leave until you come and talk to someone. There'll be people at the front. Come and talk to someone about what it means to have that kind of life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so this guy is transformed by Christ. And this is, when you give your life to Christ, he begins to shape it and mold it. And so the big deal in this dude's life was money and corruption and how he treated people. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of that. And he has an impact in that guy's life in significant ways. And it all begins by Jesus giving Zacchaeus his attention and his love. You know, we tend to live life for the happy moments or the up moments or the powerful moments or the outwardly meaningful moments. 
But the way Jesus appears to be living life, from everything I could see, and we could look at some other stories, is rather than just living for those, he seems to live as if this moment matters. Even the annoying moments in life. You know, the moments when your kids are little and you're walking in the dark and you step on the piece of Lego. And you're thinking to yourself, I can hardly wait for the day when they grow up and the house doesn't have little trinkets on the floor. And then you blink and they're all grown up and they're gone. And you realize I was complaining about the moments I will miss tomorrow. You know, I read this this study by Harvard University, read part of it anyway, that says 47% of the time, I don't know how they figure this out, but 47% of the time, people's minds are not in the same place as their feet. So when they're in a conversation with someone, 47% of the time, their minds are not fully engaged. Their mind is somewhere else. Almost half of the time, that famous line from Seinfeld, in my mind, I'm already gone, is true. And you know, we talked about this last week, and let me just pick up on it a little bit more. I think one of the biggest culprits of this is the mobile phone. And, and I was watching two or three weeks ago, I, I literally saw like two minutes of this show. And I, I'm not going to watch the show, but then I was fascinated by this little two-minute clip and the context became really clear. And it's a comedy and it's, uh, it's a family uh, with three kids, two parents, and the eldest child, their daughter, I don't know how old, about 19 I'm guessing. And it, again, it's played for laughs, but and it's exaggerated, but I thought it made a poignant point. Because in the story, from what I could understand, her phone broke. And it was obvious that her entire life revolved around her phone and social media. And again, played for a joke, but she was out without her phone for three or four days. And there was this metamorphosis in her life in those three or four days. And she began to notice life with no phone in her hand. And she began to engage in life. And in the two-minute clip that I saw, she talks to her parents about their vocation, which they'd had for a long time, it seemed like. And she goes, oh, I had no idea that's what the two of you did for a living. And then she compliments something apparently she never did. She deliberately compliments her brother and sister, her parents, all the different members of the family. And this goes on for like 90 seconds. And then in mid-sentence, as she's complimenting someone else, her phone is repaired apparently. They hand it back to her. And she immediately, immediately is totally distracted and retreats into her little smartphone world and is oblivious to everything and everyone around her. Did you know that the average person, I asked this question the other day of some people, how many times do you think the average person touches their phone in a day? One person said, oh, around 200. Another person said, I think it's gotta be a lot more than that. I think it's gotta be like 1,000. The studies I read said the average number of times 
a person touches their smartphone in a day is 2,617 times. Our mind also, the other thing we do is we like to play games with our mind. So let me suggest a couple of them. One I would call the when-then game. And the other one is the what-if game. And so the one, the first game, the when-then game is when then happens, I'll be happy. When that happens, when I finish that grade, whatever point I am in school, when I get that job, when I marry that person, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be whatever it is I'm seeking. And the other is the what if game of life that our mind plays where we say, what if that could happen? Then it'll all come together for me. What if I don't pass that test? What if I get into that school? What if I can't afford that certain something I think I desperately need? You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, I don't believe Jesus was against planning, but he was really against worrying. And he says this in Matthew 6, and he is inviting us through the way he conducted his life to live in the moment, to say to us, listen, there's nothing you can do about your past except surrender it to me and I will redeem it for you. And there's nothing you can do about the future other than trust me for it because I'm a good God. And really what I'm calling you to do is to live in this moment. And I would suggest, when I think about my life, true confession time, I think we spend way too much time in our lives just kind of lurching along, living for the big moment that's coming, the special moment that seems to be on the horizon, the the powerful moments that, if we're really honest, may or may not come. But if we live like this moment matters, maybe we will begin... And I think this is so true at this time. There's so much going on. We're just thinking about the next event or the next activity this next month. But maybe, just maybe, if we live like this moment matters, because today is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it, just maybe we will begin to notice. I said that last week. I just leave that open-ended. Maybe we'll just begin to notice. Maybe we'll begin to realize the most powerful moments in life are often the smallest moments. The most meaningful moments in life are maybe not the mountaintop experience, but instead that simple conversation you just had with someone you love or with someone that needs to be loved. So let's not miss what we have right now, pursuing what we want later. Although we might change our mind about that too, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I haven't got it all together here because I often get distracted. 
So much of what I'm saying today, I'm just going, that's for Scott. That's for Scott. The way of Jesus says, I noticed that, I was thinking about this as well, um, like how he just lived in the moment. So I'm thinking, if there's ever a time in Jesus' life where it would seem, at least from my meager mindset that it would be okay for him to be distracted and not living in the moment. Uh, I'm thinking about when he's hanging on the cross. And we were singing about that in several of the songs. You know, hanging on the cross. And I won't get into all the details. I won't get too graphic here. But just at minimum, let me say this. He's bleeding profusely. He's hurting in ways that words cannot begin to describe. He's dying a what some people call the worst way to die that there is, excruciatingly painful death. Muscles twitching from the the pain, gasping for air because it's designed to suffocate you the way he died, slowly. People are spitting at him. People are ridiculing him. But in the moment, this is all going on. In the moment, what does he do? One guy's hanging on this side of him and he's ridiculing Jesus too. But there's a guy on the other side of him and they have a conversation. And their conversation recorded is very brief. It probably included a few more words than the actual things that were written down. But certainly there was some comments from the guy adjacent to Jesus, the criminal admitted his wrongdoing. Hey, we are getting what we deserve here. We did criminal activity. We did sinful things, whatever it was they did, and we are getting what we deserve. We're, this is the punishment that's meted out for that. We knew this going in, but we did it anyway. Jesus, on the other hand, is totally innocent. And I won't take time to elaborate on this now, but in what I believe is one of the most profound conversion experiences in all of the Bible, This guy says to him, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus, even though all of this is going on, Jesus is totally engaged with this guy in the moment and says to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Maybe you're the blind beggar, Maybe you're the Zacchaeus. Maybe you're this guy hanging there. Maybe you're someone that's just, you know, just a person. Jesus cares for you. Jesus has time for you. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we can miss out on the life God wants to give us if we're not engaged. We can't have that great friendship if we're not engaged if we're only thinking about what's to come. We can't lay down good tracks as a parent or a grandparent with our kids when we're thinking, oh, I can hardly wait for the day when I don't step on the Lego anymore. That's all I'm thinking about. We can't have a healthy marriage if we're not recognized this. We can miss the blind man that Jesus wants us to stop for or the Zacchaeus that people are going to be choked with because... We loved that person in Jesus' name and cared for them. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.